Welcome back to Rose Creek Community Center. I'm Bo Henderson, and this is the Retirement Resource. Are you using your housing wealth? Today, we're going to find out more with expert Don Graves. And what are some signs that you might be running down the path of running out of money in retirement? We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. But first, let me bring in our Renaissance man here at the Community Center. How's it going, Carl? Hey, man, it's going going real, real well. I had an amazing week. Now, tell me about it. So what's going on around here? I mean, you're here every day. So give yep, us an update. Yeah, uh, every day without fail. But this week was particularly good because I'm kind of a, a hero at the community center this week uh, because of what happened last weekend. Uh, had a big win? Big, big win. So the, the community center allows me uh, 6 or $8 a month to go and increase our VHS catalog. And I found a yard sale, and at the yard sale, they were selling a mint condition weekend at Bernie's, and I got it. Weekend at Bernie's. So is that something y'all do, like afternoon showings? Is it by group? Yeah, I mean, how does this work? Yeah, Friday night movies. That's what we put on okay. with the popcorn and the movie. And uh, and my job here is to continue uh, to increase our VHS catalog. And so that was a big win because for our people, it's really a lot about you know either 80s action movies or 70s rom-coms. It's rare to get a big blockbuster 90s comedy like Weekend at Bernie's. So I've kind of, I'm, I'm riding a high right now. Big win. I like it. But I was actually wondering the other day, I mean, for me, can you believe we've been doing this thing for four weeks already? Four weeks, yeah. And, yeah. and I'm excited looking forward to how long we can do this. But as we, we dig into these retirement topics, Carl, I realize this could go on forever. There's no shortage of things people care about things people want to learn more about, experts we need to interview. So I'm, I'm just really thrilled with what we started here. Well, you know, Bo, speaking of thrilling, that reminds me of uh, one of the many illustrious jobs I've had. Oh, boy. So, another, so, so well, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm scared to ask, honestly. Well, you shouldn't be. This is pretty prestigious. Back in the day, I was actually a safety engineer for a research and development team for a major car manufacturer. A safety engineer. That does sound impressive. What did you do? Well, these were the days when, you know, they were really first trying to improve the technology around safety uh, belts and airbags. Okay. And so, you know, they would get these large warehouses and they would put a car on a track and they would get it to speed up and then to stop as quickly as possible and then test the effects on the passengers. Okay, so you were testing and doing research, testing, you know, do the seatbelts hold up? Do the airbags deploy? Yeah, but I had to do that from inside the car. Wait a minute. Uh, are you saying you were a crash test dummy? No, 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 no. No, no. There were, there were <laughs> crash test dummies in the car. I had to be in the driver's seat because they were filming it and they needed, you know, a, a living human as, as a part of it. Although... I don't remember about 50% of the job. <laughs> Probably from concussions. Well, I mean, in all honesty, the job only lasted a little while because of the, the hospital bills were piling up. And, um, and actually, they asked me to leave for a different reason. What was that? Well, you know, I told you that they were filming it. And I kept on screaming during the final part of the test. Because, you know, when I said they needed to test the braking, the braking was, it would it would stop with a wall and I would make a lot of noise. And they said I kept on ruining the takes. And so they asked me to stop. That sounds there. like a horrible job. Well, hey, man, I, you know, I was always lucky to have work, you know me. And so I look back on that job with fondness. And I think the, the best part of it is two things. I mean, I'm probably the last 
safety engineer that was a living human in one of those cars. Uh, so that was awesome. And also, they let me keep my mouth guard. That's pretty so, great. You've got a souvenir, you got a trophy. Yeah, I got, you know, from a major car manufacturer. So you're the reason we have today's version of crash test dummies. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, because after that, I, I think they couldn't handle the, the bills, the so hospital we could, bills. We could honestly say you were the last living crash test dummy. That's me. Even though I know you don't like that term. That's right. I was a safety engineer for research and development. I like it. Well, as interesting as that is, Carl, it's time for In the News. All right, first up, the Go Banking Rates website came up with a list of signs that you might be in danger and running out of money in retirement. You know, Carl, running out of money is perennially. Perennially. That sounds like, what does that mean? Is that like a flower thing? Every year. Like perennials? Perennially. Oh, okay, gotcha. Right, right. Uh, One of the top concerns people have in retirement is they're scared of living longer than their money. Yeah, I mean, that'd be the worst. So one of the things we wanted to look at here, and I thought this brought up some, some good points in this article, is one, you don't have a plan for long-term care. So long-term care means uh, you might need uh, assisted living, in-home care, might even need nursing home care. And the statistics on how often that could come up is pretty high. It's in the 60 percentiles. Yeah, and not everybody's as lucky as me to just be able to say like, oh, I'm just going to go live with my buddy Bo. That's right. Not everybody's got the backup plan. So one of the things, if we don't have a plan in place, long-term care facilities, uh, I know around here, I've seen assisted living facilities as high as uh, six figures a year. So imagine $100,000 a year for somebody to live in an assisted living home. How fast could you go through retirement assets, even if you have millions? I I can't even imagine six figures. Like, that's insane. Right. So long-term care, uh, it's a conversation we need to have in our retirement plan and retirement strategy. A second thing is one of the problems I see that causes a lot of problems is we're underestimating our life expectancy. Mm. Meaning uh, we're underestimating how many years after we retire, we might need to fund and live in retirement. And the longer we live, the more we're exposed to all the other risks of retirement, such as interest rate risk, inflation risk, market risk, all the risks we try to battle, the longer we live, the more we're exposed to them. So one of the things we can do is we can plan a little more conservatively that, hey, maybe I'm not just going to live to average. Maybe I'm one of the 50% that's going to live beyond average. And we're not in that statistic where we're running out of money with five to 10 years of life left. Wow. Another one, healthcare costs. Imagine as we get older, healthcare costs increase. Now, on average today, the last statistic I saw, and a couple's going to spend up to $285,000 in healthcare costs. So How much? $285,000. And that does not include the long-term care that we just talked about. So do we have a bucket of money earmarked for that? Do our insurances cover that? It's something we want to do some pre-planning to make sure we're taken care of. Here's another one. You didn't take inflation into consideration. And this came up just last week. We were talking on a different radio show. I was doing an interview and we were looking back 25 years ago. And guess what? Things that uh, today versus 25 years ago, things are about twice as much as they were. Yeah, I mean... For me, even going down to the like the convenience store and getting, you know, like bubble gum, it's twice as much as it used to be. Yeah. Gas, bread, yeah. milk, eggs, all the everything. So imagine where we could be 20 years into retirement. If yeah, I mean, were- bubble gum is still my biggest expenditure. So that's the thing that I'm worried about. But I understand gas. And that, that's your bread. highest budget item. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's expensive. And so we talked about, so this is the last one. This is a big one. When planning, not taking taxes into consideration. What is our tax liability? How much tax are we paying on our income? 
uh, how much tax is coming out for Social Security, and making sure we're doing as much we can as we can do to mitigate taxes and navigate taxes in retirement. Mm. So those are some warning signs, or at least something that you know what if I haven't addressed that or had that conversation, that might be a good place to start. Mm. Well, I was reading uh, just this last week on CNBC. They had a great op-ed about you're planning, not your grandma's retirement plan. So basically, the way that you know, either my parents or their parents before them would have planned is not the way that we're going to be planning now because it has also three different elements. The one is that we're not really slowing down the way we used to. Two, we're looking for a sense of purpose. And three, there's probably some part-time work or volunteer work involved in that. And so it's really interesting to think about that, you know, it used to be you'd get the gold watch and you'd stop and you just, you know, sit down and maybe whittle or, you know, pick up a hobby. But it sounds like more and more people are going, well, I'm finishing with this job, but now I'm finding purpose and my schedule may not slow down because either maybe I'm with the grandkids or maybe I'm traveling, but I'm now having to plan for all of the activity of retirement as opposed to just being stationary and not doing a whole lot. The second part of that was going, how am I finding purpose? It's amazing to think of even organizations. I saw this the other day. Um, the you know Jimmy Carter and his wife at ninety three and ninety six were on a Habitat for Humanity work site, working, finding actually purpose, working. actually working. Got the hard hat and the gloves and the whole thing. And and that leads to the last part about it is that people are looking for either part time work or volunteerism to either add income or add something to do because there's not this desire to just. Well, I bought the house and I'm on the lake and I'm just going to sit still for the next 20 years um, and enjoy. I think enjoyment is changing and the definition of enjoying your retirement is changing from what our grandparents would have looked at to now what we're thinking it might be. When it goes back to that conversation we are having a little earlier about longevity, it's different uh, even a generation, much less two generations ago, when in a lot of cases, if you made it to retirement, you might spend five years there. Right. Right. We have a whole nother section of our life, a whole, you know, in some cases is as long as is our working career in retirement and and meaning fulfillment. It's not very motivating to get up without something that's your purpose. Because for a lot of people, that might have been their work or their job. That might have been their motivation. And finding that thing, I see that more and more in the conversations we have. And also the the piece about work. I see that transition from just ending a career to going into retirement, that's rare and rare these days um, from somebody transitioning. Maybe, hey, I'm going to work part-time. Maybe I'm going to consult for a few years and kind of ease into it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, even when I'm done climbing the corporate ladder here at the community center, I'm still going to come back and volunteer because, I mean, you can't give up pickleball. Like, once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You're going to want to be a part of that kind of competition. Well, I was going to say, I see you being at the community center till the day we, we kind of cart you off. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to be buried out behind one of the courts. I mean, just let lay me down right here. Let's see if Art can arrange that, get you a plot or something. Else. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to have a name badge first. You got to make sure that's all, all the paperwork's done properly. Uh, let's do something, Carl, just for fun here. So, well, th- th- this part's serious. I know we've had conversations about, we've we both had dogs in our lives. We've both been dog owners at one point or other. And studies have shown that having a pet can lower your blood pressure, improve your cholesterol levels, and contribute to overall healthier lifestyle, especially among older Americans. With that in mind, let's talk about those of you that have a dog in the family. And what would you think, Carl, would be the most popular dog names that came up in a survey for 2020? The most popular name. I know now you hear like really interesting names, you know, because 
when I was a kid, it was like Fido and Spot and like, oh, that's a dog name. But now it's almost like I've heard people give their dogs like three names and their last name. Like their name is Albert Edward Johnson. Like they're fully family member with first, middle and last name. Yeah. So I would only imagine now in uh, in our day and age that, you know, we might get really interesting, cool hipster millennial names for our dogs. Well, so, before I give you the top 10 names on this survey, talk about that a little bit. What has at times in your life, I know uh, for me, there was, there was periods of my life where a dog, you know, it had been through um, from being with me in college, being with me through early in my career, that that was a, a significant, important part of my life. And yeah, I mean, they they do. They become family members. I remember once I was taking a trip and had let a, a friend or asked a friend to watch our dog for us. And I got a phone call while I was out of town from somebody else saying, hey, by the way, and it was a big dog. She was about 140 pounds. That's a breed called a Presa Canario. Looked like a pit bull with a big mastiff head. So it basically looks like a, a tiny miniature black bear walking around uh, the downtown square where we live here. And uh, I had a fellow neighbor say, hey, I was grabbing coffee at the coffee shop and people thought that there was a bear had walked out of the mountains only then to call my friend who was watching the dog and say, hey, have you seen the dog? And they're like, oh yeah, it's in the backyard. Let me go say, hey. Nope, dog wasn't there. They didn't even realize the dog was just casually walking around downtown scaring children, but yes. Sounds like you might need to find some some more um, respectable friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about you? I mean, what 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 role did a dog play for you in those seasons? You know, I remember, and now we're talking more about the, the dog and later life in this study, but I remember as a kid, my best friend was a dog named Kate, a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. And now, real or imaginary? This was a real dog. Real dog, okay. Not yeah, like yeah. an imaginary friend kind of. Growing up on Lake Lanier, uh, that dog, I would hold her tail and she'd swim me around the lake. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so so big, big. Who part. needs a boat on the lake? That's you right. get a dog. And then kind of middle middle life, I had a dog named Ralph that we got from the Humane Society that that was there for for a decade or more and and just a big part of of, of a lot of that life. And I tell you what, Carl, as we're talking talking about this, I'm realizing we're probably looking at. Uh, Maybe maybe looking into getting another dog before too long. Yeah, I mean they're amazing companions. So I'm I'm fascinated now to know what are some of the top names okay. for dogs uh, this year. Most popular dog names of 2020. Number one, Bella. Now, Bella. I don't know, is that a is that a Disney reference or something? Or no, that's a Bell. So Bella. I don't know. That's okay. Bella. I'll have to go look at my VHS collection and see if a Bella pops up. <laughs> number two is Luna. Okay, a Moon reference, I guess. Number three, Charlie. Again, a, a human. Human child name coming up, real popular at the top of the dog list. For Lucy. Lucy, okay. Then we have Cooper. Okay. Max. Max makes sense. Okay, I've heard Max before. Bailey. I've heard Bailey, of Bailey. Okay. Daisy. Yeah. Sadie. And then Lola. Lola. Okay. Yeah. Actually, no, you're right. I did know a Lola dog before. Those are great names. So, yeah. So, interesting to see where these names come from. And I don't know. I'm wondering if these are some, like, popular... Um, Actors or actresses that are missing or something right now. Well, that was awesome. And that's all we've got for In the News. All right, I think it's time to go to our expert today, Carl. Don Graves, he's the president of the Housing Wealth Institute. He's an author of a couple books that help us really learn how to utilize our home and how that might help us in retirement. Let's go ahead and ring Don now. 
Welcome to the Retirement Resource, Don. Thank you, Bo. It was super fantastic to meet you there in Atlanta. And I get to meet a lot of people around the country, and I don't like everybody I meet. And some people I, I enjoy uh, pretty good, but there are only a few folk I think I could probably sit down on the front porch somewhere and sip sweet tea with that person. And that's you, Bo. That's you. I know. You're sitting right off the bat. I could sip sweet tea with you, man. Thank you. I knew, I knew, I knew we'd hit it off and we could <laughs> hang out all day there. But Don, let's talk about this. This is something that I don't think there's enough good information out there. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think you're the person we need to be talking to. But, but before we dive into the reverse mortgages, let's just talk a little bit about who you are and what brought you to be really a pioneer in getting this information out there. Thank you, Bo. I, I've been involved with reverse mortgages for 20 years, coming into my 21st year. Before that, I'd been involved with various other community and Christian activities. And my sister called me and I was president of an organization called Habitat for Humanity in Philadelphia. And she said, little brother, I want you to look at something. I think you would be good at this. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, no, this is, this is no good. You're going to go to prison. You're taking old people's <laughs> houses. and I don't want anything to do with that. And I, I, I dismissed it. And it took about a year for me to come back, circle back, because it was strange. It was So I'm like a lot of people who may watch or listen to this. I was not a fan of reverse mortgages, really, because I hadn't taken the time. So eventually I got in. That was 20 years ago. And it took me a lot of research. I had to talk to HUD, to Fannie Mae, to different folk, because I wanted to know the aha, the gotcha, the catch, the small print. Because my name meant something to me, Bo. The book of life says a a good name is more desirous than great riches. And I didn't want to be misleading people. So for the last 20 years, I've had about 16,000 consumer-facing conversations. And about 3,000 people became clients. Also, um, educated advisors and about 20,000 advisors I've educated um, regarding reverse mortgages. And here's one thing I've discovered that as good as reverse mortgages are for many, they're not always the right thing to do. For your viewers and listeners today, it may not be the right thing for you to do, but I do believe wholeheartedly it's the right conversation to have. Well, I think you're right. I think there's so many things out there in the retirement space for this demographic that we're talking about. I think too much information can be a problem too because there's a lot of bad information, partial information, incomplete information. So, Don, what I love that you've done uh, is you've gone and done the homework. Like you said, you were involved with HUD. You went and did your due diligence. And now you're getting good information because people need to compare. What is my option A, my option Mm -hmm. B, my option C? And then they have the information to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, as it comes to reverse mortgages, let me start somewhere really, I think the best place to start is what in the world is a reverse mortgage. <laughs> well, I tell you what, though, it's it's a it could be a good place to get beat up at the barbecue if you're not careful. <laughs> you ever mentioned reverse mortgages at the family reunion and three people left the table and your aunt your aunt Janie made a shank out of a plastic knife and fork and she <laughs> came after you. And so reverse mortgages could be dangerous if you don't know about them. Well, here in the United States, they started in 1961 as a private program became part of the federal government in 1988. The seating of the 100th Congress um, authorized the reverse mortgage program. President Ronald Reagan signed it into law. So we're coming up on 32 years on the reverse mortgage as people know it. 
I'm going to tell you what it is, but before I do that, I want to tell you why, why it is, why it came to be. Okay. When we're looking at retirement, it's not like when my daddy or my granddaddy or your granddaddy were around, um, they'd work and then retire, which meant I can't work anymore, and then I just die. And so this idea that I'm going to do this and save this big pile of money and I'm going to live, that's a fairly new concept. But the idea that I'm going to have to live 20, 30 years off of that is really new. And so what was happening is that the, the, the social scientists and, and the, the people who deal with that saying, we're living longer. And we know that. I'm living longer than my father. And we're gonna, so how do we prepare for a retirement that's not going to end at 65 or 70, but for many, 80, 90, 100 years of age? How do we prepare for that? So there, there, there are two ways or two things to deal with that. They say, well, we need more assets for people to live longer. The asset that most retirees had was their home, about $7 trillion in home equity. And so, well, how do I get money out of my home? Two primary ways. Number one, I could sell my house and move to an apartment and move in with the children, and then I'd have that money, but I'd lose the use of my home that I love. Number two, I can take out a mortgage or home equity loan line of credit and make payments, and then I've got a cash flow concern. Is there a way that I can live in my home? take the money out and use it for my retirement without having to make a monthly payment. That was the idea for the reverse mortgage. Use an asset that you have at your disposal, use it wisely to sustain your retirement. So that's the why of the reverse mortgage. The what, a reverse mortgage is a federally insured loan for those age 62 or better that allows them to convert a portion, a portion of their home's value and turn that into tax-free dollars without the requirement of making a mandatory monthly loan payment, you don't come off title, you don't give up ownership of your home. The amount of money that you're able to receive from a reverse mortgage is a triangle. This is not that rap sign thing. This is just a, <laughs> a triangle. That the top of the triangle, the amount of money you get is based off the age of the youngest borrower. So if you're married, only one person has to be 62. The other one only has to be age 18. So the age of the youngest borrower, number two, the value of the property, and number three, the current interest rate. So based off of that triangle, those three things, a certain amount of money is going to be there in the middle. A reverse mortgage must be a first mortgage. So any existing mortgage or home equity or line of credit have to be paid off first from the proceeds of the reverse mortgage. Now, finally, the loan gets repaid when the last surviving borrower permanently departs the home, when they move or when they die. At that time, whatever money was, has been advanced to them, plus the interest that has accrued, has to be repaid. Typically, this is done because the children sell the house, and they pay back, and then they pocket whatever's left over. Sometimes there's insurance or other assets that can do it, but typically it's the children that pay it back. And so that's the reverse mortgage. It's a resource that allows retirees to use their home in a way to help sustain their retirement. And when it's over, the kids sell the house, typically pay back what's old, and the kids pocket the difference, whatever's left over. Well, I think one of the big misconceptions, Don, I've heard is that the, the house goes back to the bank. The bank owns the house. Is that, mm -hmm. it, it, what? I guess that's the question. Are there, are there two or three big misconceptions you hear out there that people don't quite really understand how it works? Sure, that's the big one. I mean, every day someone tells me some frightening story about reverse mortgages. Where, where's, I don't have my email here, but someone, uh, a lady just last night, she says, Don, I was 
talking to a realtor friend of mine and saying a reverse mortgage and real estate. Oh no, no, don't do that. Because once you get your house, you won't ever be able to sell it. Right. And she was just worried and panicked. And I said, well, I don't know what type of program that is, but that's certainly not a reverse mortgage. But the common misconception is you get this over at the beauty shop or the, the, the <laughs> barber shop there or the family reunion. You mentioned reverse mortgage and someone's going to say, oh, no, that's the deal where um, the bank loans you the money. And when you die, they take the house. That's the misconception, number one. And I want to give your viewers and listeners just four words, four words. I wish we could flash it on the screen that when someone says reverse mortgages and you're tempted to um, get real uh, shaky, <laughs> I want to give you four words. You ready? Let's it's it. just a mortgage. It's just, just a mortgage. If you can say that, so it works just like a regular mortgage works in terms of how it gets paid back. So the bank doesn't take the house. Right. Your children sell the house, pay back what's owed, just like a regular mortgage, and theirs pocket the difference. That's a big misconception with the reverse mortgage. Another one is where the house has to be free and clear um, to get a reverse mortgage. That's not true. Um, typically, and most of the time, people get a reverse mortgage. They have a mortgage or home equity loan on the property, and the reverse mortgage has to pay off that loan first before proceeds can be released. That's a common misconception. And here's the third one. You said, what are the top two or three? Here's one I get. Um, I went over there to the barbecue. Where are you at, Bo? Texas or Atlanta? Atlanta. Atlanta. And I was there at the Atlanta a barbecue. There, You all do pulled pork down there? Pulled pork works, absolutely. I don't do pulled pork. That's what I'm saying. If you got <laughs> the pulled pork off the bone, something's just wrong with you. <laughs> but you get there to the barbecue and someone mentions reverse mortgage. They said, or you, you see Uncle Leroy there at the Atlanta barbecue. So Uncle Leroy, why are you staying in Tracy's spare bedroom? And Uncle Leroy says, well, I got one of those reverse mortgages and I lost my house. And everybody stops at the barbecue and looks and they go, mm, 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 this is terrible. And you know what? Uncle Leroy did get a reverse mortgage. That's true. And it's true that Uncle Leroy did lose his house. That's absolutely true. And so, but why did Uncle Leroy lose his house? It's true. Those things are true. Well, there are four requirements for a reverse mortgage. If you're watching or listening, you may want to write these down. Bo, they're a little spooky. Now, we may lose some people right here. There are four spooky requirements for a reverse mortgage. Number one, at least one of the husband and wife has to live in the property. So you can put him out, Miss Jones, but you have to stay. stay. So one person has to live in the house. Number two, you got to take care of it. You can't let a tree fall through the roof and not fix it. Number three, you got to pay your property taxes. And number four, you got to keep insurance and force on the property. That's it. Now, many people are laughing and saying, Don, that's not spooky at all. But no, no, it's not spooky. Now, what did Uncle Leroy fail to do that he ended up in your cousin Tracy's spare bedroom? I'm going to tell you what he failed to do. He didn't pay his property taxes. Okay. The majority of stories that you hear, horror stories about someone losing their home, it had nothing to do with the reverse mortgage. Absolutely nothing. I don't know in Atlanta what happens. I'm in Philadelphia. I know if you don't pay your taxes, the sheriff comes knocking. So I think in Atlanta, you all don't let people just go two, three years and not pay your property taxes. And so th those are the scary things about a reverse mortgage. Uh, I can lose my house. You cannot. You, you do those four things that we talked about. The bank takes the home in the end. That's not so. No, it's, it's, a, it's just a mortgage. Your family's going to sell the home and you're going to pocket 
the difference. And um, I don't forget the other one I said. So yeah, thank you for bringing that up because I'd like to clear those misconceptions before people leave the broadcast and are frustrated and you don't get to the good stuff about how it can change your retirement. That's right. Let's, let's hit it in the nose right up front so it's not in the back of our <laughs> listener's mind the whole time, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you've already hit on this, Don, that, that this idea, and we talk about this a lot, longevity is the multiplier of all of these risks we run into uh-huh. in, in this time period. But beyond, beyond longevity, what else has changed that makes this conversation with re- reverse mortgages different or more relevant today? Sure. A lot of times when we thought of retirement, we were going to work and save money and get a big pile of money. And then we climbed the mountain. And finally, we said, that's it. I've hit my number. I planted my flag. I, I took my hero stance <laughs> and I'm ready to retire. Only to discover that, wow, retirement's a little bit more expensive. Maybe I should have saved more. Maybe I should have worked longer because the mountain I've got to come down is higher than I thought. And so now, as um, I've got to begin coming down this mountain, I know I'm going to live longer. I've not saved enough for most people to sustain that at the, the lifestyle I want to live. I'm not saved enough to do that. And on top of that, Bo, there's some real risks in retirement. The American College where I teach identifies 18 major risks in retirement. Longevity risk is the multiplier, that if you live long, it just makes everything else worse. But interest rates risk, what if your you, interest rates stay low and they don't grow where you thought, where you projected? That's going to be hard. There's healthcare risk. There's public policy risk. What if things change? There's long-term care risk. And, and there are all of these risks that the retiree needs to be aware of. And I hope everyone who's listening has a financial advisor that they're working with because it's true that if you work with an advisor, you'll retire better. You'll do better because you'll have someone kind of coaching and guiding your path. And so the retirement is dangerous. There there are lots of ways to mess it up coming down the mountain. And what that means, that if you're watching your consumer, you have to use every available asset that you have at your disposal to, to make for a successful retirement. You would agree with that, right? If I had something wrong with my wrist, I don't know if you can see my thing here, but if I go to the doctor's, my wrist or my heart or my leg, I don't want him to give me or her limited treatment options. I want them to say, we could, don't just tell me you're going to amputate my leg. You just say, well, maybe it'll get better next week. Or just tell me, I can put some camphophonique, what I use as a kid. We did that on everything. And, <laughs> But we want all options. So for the retiree listing, you've got four major sources of retirement income. Are you using all of them? Well, Don, what's the first one? You've got your income. You've got your investments. You've got your insurances. So you've got maybe you're still working. Maybe you're drawing Social Security. Maybe you got a pension. General Electric just said, hey, we, we cut the pensions of 10,000 of our people. They just announced it two days ago, and we're, we're working out a deal with 100,000 others that are retired but haven't taken their pension yet. General Electric just said that. And so, so there's a crisis in the American pension plan. But you've got your investments, 401k and IRAs and all that type of business, and your insurances, and I'm including annuities over there. And you've, you've got to work with that to come up with a plan for your retirement. But you're missing something. You're missing your biggest asset. Now, I said that at a church meeting one time, Bo, and people looked at me funny. I said, Mrs. Jones, you got a big asset. 
<laughs> the pastor looked at me, said, I beg your pardon? I said, you're your congregant. Pastor, she got a big ass <laughs> So I had, to, I had to watch. My wife says I should stop telling that. But I, I like it. it. I it thought reminds, it was funny. It reminds me, Don, one time I was working on a business funnel, uh-huh. and I didn't realize I was speaking to, to a young lady, and I told her she needed to work on her back end. And I was totally talking about <laughs> the business side of it. So what happened? It happens. It happens. But we're missing. So so most folks say, well, Don, that's all I got. I said, it's not. It's far from all you got. I said, because maybe all of that equals $400,000. Right. But you also got a $400,000 home that can be coordinated to make that other stuff last significantly longer. Are you using your housing wealth? And people, well, well, what do you mean? I said, have you ever had a 30-year mortgage? Yes. I said, that was using your housing wealth. What about, do you ever take out a home equity line of credit to make a repair or do an extension or uh, help with the children or the college? Yeah. I said, you did that so you didn't have to use other resources. I said, so you're used to using housing wealth already. What you're not used to is transitioning it to your retirement years and understanding that reverse mortgages is just another way to use your housing wealth. And if you can incorporate that with your investment insurances and income, it's going to expand the things that you're able to do. Now, this is so exciting to me, Don, because the way the way I visually conceptually think of it is we all have these puzzle pieces and all uh-huh. those things we talk, and everybody's are different. But isn't at the end of the day, the goal that we put them together for our specific situation, the way that me and my family get the most use of the money. Yeah. And that could include how we put it together to save tax mm-hmm. and could create longevity in the income. So, so I love that we now have this fourth tool yeah. to put as a puzzle piece in the mix because that opens up some... some you know, it, as you were describing this, one of the big things I've seen as a, as a true issue out there is this idea of unretiring. People are retiring without really putting the plan together and doing the right due diligence of having the right income strategy. And uh-huh. they're having to unretire, unwill, uh, not on purpose, they're having to go back to work. So now we got another tool in play. So I'm excited. Keep going. Well, yeah, yeah, Bo. And and you should be, and your listeners should be excited that you're bringing this to them. There's $7 trillion in home equity. And most folks are sitting out there saying, well, what do I do with this house? Well, how can this house help my retirement? Well, let let me give you just, here's something that I, I talk about this because sometimes for some folks, it's off the beaten path. So I get a phone call from an advisor, and he's, he's Mr. Big Time. We'll just call him Mr. Big Time. And he says, Don, I'm, my name is Mr. Big Time, and I manage $5 million um, for a retired CEO of a large multinational pharmaceutical company. I said, pleasure to meet you, Mr. Big Time, and what can I do for you? He said, my client is interested in a reverse mortgage. I said, tell me why. He says he lives in a $4.5 million home, and he just put in a $200,000 elevator. He borrowed money, another home equity line of credit, just borrowed money. And now, listen to this, Bo. He has $2.1 million in debt servicing, meaning he's borrowed $2.1 million on a $4.5 million home. And every month, his payment, principal and interest, is about $21,000 a month. Okay. And so that's a, that's a hardship. Now, someone says, well, Don, he's got $5 million over here. And that's what his advisor said. He says, Don, we can cover it. I said, sure. If you get a 5% net return, that will just cover his debt servicing. Is that the type of retirement your client envisioned? That that all his retirement income is going for debt servicing? 
No, that's not what he envisioned at all. And so ultimately, Bo, I said to the client and his wife, we met with them, did case design. I said, I don't think you should do the reverse mortgage because there's a jumbo reverse mortgage that covered that. I said, if you're spending $200,000 for an elevator to get up and down in your shore house, this house is no longer functional for you. I suggest you sell it, pay off what you owe and buy you a shack for a million dollars over here, put the rest... Uh, put the rest back in your investments and come and rent down at the shore. You can rent something for two, three, four thousand dollars a month for six months if you want it. So what you were paying in one or two months in debt servicing, you can rent you something real good. And that's what they did. That was back in 2018. They did that. And so the, the point is the reverse mortgage was not the appropriate fit for them, but it was the appropriate conversation to have. And that's what I want your viewers and listeners to understand, that when you're looking at your retirement and you're saying, and you look over at your spouse and said, boy, I wish we could do more for the grandchildren this Christmas, or I wish we could go on the cruise like we like to go, or you worry, you see some hiccups in the market or whatever, and you're thinking, man, I hope I don't have to cut back my lifestyle. Is our money going to make it? That's when you want to make sure that you're using, I'm going to say AAA, AAA, not the automobile company, but, right. but the philosophy, all available assets, AAA. Are you using all available assets? Are you using your housing wealth? Are you using annuities? Are you using managed wealth? Are you using things that will keep up with interest? Are you protecting um, your health? Do you have long-term care? Do you have life? I mean, what are you using? All available assets. So housing wealth is one, of, it, it's the single, I think, it's the single largest concentration of wealth for most folks. And some people argue with me, Don, my client has $600,000 in a $400,000 house. I said, no, you've got to carve that $600,000 up to stocks, bonds, mutual funds, insurance, annuities. Once you carve it up and put the pie back up there, what's the biggest source? I said, they're home. You got to know what you're doing. So AAA, all available assets, all viable strategies. If you're not understanding, and listen, Bo, I don't know if this comes up upside down, but I just did a webinar uh, for the college here, and then there were um, about a thousand folk registered financial advisors. And I said to them, look, I said right here, this is 42, 42 retirement income strategies that use housing wealth. And, and they just stopped 42. I said 42. And so if you're listening, you, you're not an advisor, you're a client. Well, listen, the same 42 apply to you as it would to an advisor. You're sitting on your biggest asset. It can be used to strengthen your retirement. And at a minimum, you want to at least know how does it work? How could it work for me? Let me pause right there. Sip some water. Go ahead, but what are you thinking about all this? Well, no, it's just making me, it's reminding me of a question as I, I talk a lot about Social Security. And one of the questions that comes up is, is that being an important asset and resource for people to get right? One of my big questions is why is your advisor not having this conversation with you? And I think that same question comes up here is why with, with the housing wealth being such a big part of so many Americans' assets, mm-hmm. why is the, the conversation not being had? And it's pretty similar is, is either advisors don't know they didn't go get additional information to be able to talk about this stuff intelligently, or it's not what they sell and they're not getting paid to do it, so to speak. So I think um, I think that's a good question to ask and maybe something relevant for our listeners is ask your advisor about house, your housing wealth 
And if they say, what are you talking about? That might be a clue. It's time to have another conversation. I don't know. Well, sure. No, I, I think, I, and listen, folks, you're watching me and, and I have to pause here. Well, Don, a reverse mortgage is the answer for everything? Absolutely not. I think I just told you that with the man. So the passion you may hear coming out is I spent 20 years getting beat up <laughs> for something that was mistaken. That's This is not the late night commercial. This is not the retired actor. That's all fine and good. But what we're talking about is a person that has a um, $300,000 savings portfolio. Let's just use that as an example. And they're planning on retiring and they're thinking, is this going to be enough? Haven't you thought that, your listeners, your viewers? Right. Is this going to be enough to, to maintain the level that I want to maintain? But they also have a $300,000 home, and they have a $100,000 mortgage on that home that they're paying $1,100 a month for the next 15 or 17 years, right? So we $300,000, and your concern, is that enough? But you have this home. And so your advisor does a plan and he lays out a budget and they do whatever they do. We're going to do some annuities. We're going to roll this over and do this. But anyway, they shake it. It comes out to not enough. <laughs> it's right. not enough for what you had envisioned. Your movie, your retirement movie had more money than this. But your advisor doesn't talk about housing wealth. They're just saying, well, you're going to have to cut back, spend less. and But they don't mention housing wealth. What Bo is doing and, and what this podcast is doing is saying, hey, wait a minute. What if, and one of my favorite questions, I'm going to ask you directly, if you have a mortgage or home equity loan, here's the question. What would retirement be like for you if you didn't have to make that monthly loan payment? Same question the retired CEO was asked, but I'm going to ask you who are watching me directly. What would retirement be like? What would life be like? if you didn't have to make that monthly mortgage payment? There are two possible responses when you heard me say that question. Some of you just did like this. <laughs> you didn't even have words. You just had the sign of relief. And I'm going to ask you, what did that mean? What did you mean when you said that? And you said, wow, if we didn't have to make that $1,100 a month payment, we could save it. We can draw out less. We could help more. We could sleep better. You gave me a, a list of reasons right? And here's the second and final question. If there was a way, if there was a way that you could eliminate your monthly mortgage payment so that you could draw less from your savings and they could last longer, that you could sleep better, that you could do more for the grandchildren, that you could save a little more, if there's a way that you could eliminate your monthly mortgage payment, that you could do some of those things, would you want Bo or your advisor to tell you about it? The clear and obvious answer is absolutely, because you breathe the sigh of relief. And so all of a sudden you say, well, show me what this looks like. Well, we show you that a $300,000 home could be turned into a $135,000 reverse mortgage. The first thing the reverse mortgage does, Bo, is it pays off their $100,000 mortgage, your home equity line of credit. If we stop right there, if we stop right there, We've created $1,100 for you. Do you feel better as a retiree? Yes. And then you go back and you rework your numbers because now you're drawing out twelve dollars or $13,000 less than you had before. And you realize now my money is going to last another 12 to 15 years just on that one strategy. 
But on top of that, we left you with $35,000 left over. And you can talk about all the things that that could do. You see? So one simple question, what would retirement be like if you didn't have to make a monthly loan payment? One advisor knows to ask that question, and then they can incorporate the housing wealth conversation. The other one doesn't. They say, well, we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll... They don't know. They don't know. But in the end, you, the consumer, you're that are watching it, you're harmed by that. And I think that's criminal. I don't know if I just say that on that program, but I think it's negligent for an advisor to be looking at that big asset and have no idea how to use it. So that's just one strategy. That's mortgage to eliminate a monthly mortgage, a mandatory monthly mortgage payment. You know, which one would you choose, right? Let me stop. Bones, you got to stop me, man. I get to no, talk. keep going. I'm, hey, I'm taking notes. I, I'm, again, you, I'm, you I'm excited about this, Don. It's the, you know, it reminds me, this reminds me a little bit of a, a long-term care conversation that uh-huh. we have a lot of times is we're not necessarily saying you need to do something like long-term care insurance or anything, but we are saying you need to have the conversation. Yeah. Because I don't want after an event's happened or after you run out of money in this case or income mm-hmm. or have mm-hmm. to unretire, you look back and say, why didn't you teach me these things? That's right. That's right. So, so I love it. It's, it's, again, and I love your approach, Don. It's not you're saying, this isn't for everybody, but it is for everybody to sit down and have the conversation, explore further, see where it might fit, compare scenario A to B to C, mm-hmm. and see what makes sense for me and my family. Your listeners, I don't know what age they're going to be. They're going to be in or at or approaching retirement. And here's what I know, that if they're baby boomers, 50 to 68% of them are going to come into retirement with some sort of monthly mortgage obligation, mortgage, second mortgage, home equity loan, line of credit. If I said to you listening, if there was a way that I could increase your cash flow, reduce your expenses, and add new dollars back into your retirement savings, but it meant that you'd have to move to your next last and best home in retirement, would you want to see how? That's the question. If you say, no, I don't want to see how. Said even if I could add 100, 200, 300,000 back, no, I don't want to see how. Okay, we move on. All right. But I don't know very many folk who would say, no, I don't want to see how that would work. Of course you would. Even if you didn't use it right away, you would want to have the knowledge to understand that this might be an appropriate tool down the road. And so that's the fifth foundation, the line of credit, the monthly payment, uh, replace a mortgage, exchange a mortgage, or do the heckin' for purchase and absolutely restructure your retirement. Those are the five foundations. I think I want to stop right there, Bill. I think that's a good place, Don. And I, and I just think if, if there's any last minute, I'm hoping what we cover today, you gave us a lot of gold, a lot of good information, mm-hmm. is that we created maybe at least a couple of notes of questions to explore further. Maybe I should look into this. I should have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell people, my favorite word is strategy. Because I, I find that most people go to retirement, and they really don't have a strategy. They have a bunch of pieces and they hope it turns out all right. And that's not a great path. But, but this is another key component that we can utilize to create a strategy that will increase flexibility and certainty of success. So Don, any, any takeaways as far as, so, so our listeners there, so they're saying, you know what? You piqued my interest. I want to look into this further. Uh, how do we go about finding that advisor out there? Is there is there a list of people you've trained? I mean, how do we, what would you recommend that person that says, I want more? Because I, I guarantee you, you go to 95% of advisors, they're not, they're going to look at you like you're a little silly when you mm-hmm. ask them to utilize your housing wealth. That's right. So for the listeners here, and I mean that I've said it earlier, um, the person putting on this podcast, Bo Henderson, he didn't ask me to say this, but every time an advisor is proactive in their thinking and is willing to incorporate housing wealth, that's a person you need to 
think, now I know his other skills. I know what he's able to do for your taxes. I know what he's able to do with uh, managed wealth, safe money, fixed income. I, I know the things that Bo has at his disposal. And that's the type of person you want. And he's not going to force it or ram it down your throat. He's, he'll present it and you'll be able to see it. And it will make, I'm a simple guy. You, you can't put a lot of big words and numbers with me. And, and Bo's a complex guy, but he's able to break it down even, even for me from Falmouth, Kentucky, even for me. So I would say you want information, you go back to where you saw this podcast and you talk to Bo. If you want to catch me directly, you can just Google me, Don Graves, Reverse Mortgages, or Bo can. Or if you want to email me, can I give my email, Bo? Is Absolutely. That, yeah, any, listen, any ways. Um, I'm Don Graves. So you go ask, A-S-K, Don Graves, ask Graves, G-R-A-V, as in victory, E-S, ask Don Graves at Gmail. Dot com. You can email me, Don. I have a question. I have a thought. I'd like to see some scenario. I'm happy. I do case design and consultation, typically with advisors, not a lot direct to consumer, but because you're seeing me here on this broadcast or podcast, I'm happy to do it for you. Ask Don Graves at gmail.com. You'll get me or my website, housingwealth.net, www.housingwealth.net. Net. But really, I want you to circle back to Bo, and I want to I want to get this into the hands of a few of you all. So listen, Bo, I'm going to do this for you. Now, not for everybody, but if you get 10 folk who call you, not me, and okay. say, hey, Don, I, I'd like that. I'd like that. I'm just going to send you 10 of these. No calls to you. I'll just send it. You make sure the people get it. So, so if someone wants it, you get it to them. Is that fair? Hey, Don, uh, you've over-delivered with the content, and and thank you. The book's another tool. I love the idea of somebody that's ready for that conversation to have that book in their hand mm-hmm. to really have a good idea of what questions they want to ask, where they want to go, what they want to explore. So again, thank you just for, for over-delivering. Here on the Retirement Resource, you helped me deliver on my promise to create the expertise and the information to help people successfully navigate retirement. And and I hope you're open to coming back when you have updates, new laws, new products, and things to help educate this demographic because they need good information. And I appreciate your heart, brother, and I appreciate you being here on the, the Retirement Resource. Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. Well, Bo, I'll let you know, I had no idea there were so many things that you could do to leverage the wealth in your home. So, I mean, it inspires me as a current renter of an in-law suite that once I own my own place, now there's all these different ways that I can uh, like manage and create new wealth. But when that time comes, Carl, Don Graves is the expert in this field and he really knows how to help you maximize that. So such an honor to have him on today. Well, that music, oh yeah, gotta love that. That actually means it's time for one of my favorite segments in the show, In the Mailbag. Well, in this week's mailbag, we got a question through Facebook. And uh, our writer was asking the question, she's about to retire. And she would love to know what are her options in regards to her pension? Okay, that's a great question. That comes up a lot. So when somebody leaves work, and now a pension by nature, you think of a lump sum or an income stream, or it could possibly be an income stream with a spousal benefit, with some being left over for a spouse. But what you need to look at when we consider those options are 
is the lump sum that might be offered in a pension payout is that could I generate the same kind of income with that lump sum that that pension's guaranteeing me to pay? Mm-hmm. So we want to do a little bit of math. And then depending on the situation and if the pension allows it, does it make sense for me to leave a part of my benefit to my spouse when I die? Because remember, when one spouse dies, the lower social security goes away. So sometimes that could be a factor in the decision. And then also there's a little bit of a risk component there that we need to think through. Now, with a corporation, a pension can change. If a corporation restructures, gets bought out, things can happen. And that pension is not good as gold, so to speak. It could be, it could be decreased. We've had cases where a pension was cut in half. Wow. We've had pensions, we've had cases where um, we're working with clients and the pension goes away. So, so there's a little risk factor there too. So, so that, those are the things you really want to think through. Do I want to take the, the payout income stream? Is it attractive enough that it's not worth me taking the lump sum and creating my own income stream? And then are the risks comfortable for me? So a few things to think about. And of course, uh, in the context of what other assets do I have out there to help supplement this? And that might impact that decision too. That's super helpful. So then my question for me would be, you know, this co-hosting gig being um, volunteer, is there a pension plan involved in what we're doing here? Oh, a pension, we can talk about, let's get to 100 episodes and make sure we're getting some revenue coming in. And I tell you what, Carl, I'll work on a pension plan for you. That's awesome. I mean, I just came into this for the uh, free Chick-fil-A nuggets. So to end with a pension, that would be amazing. Well, that's all we've got for this week in the mailbag. Man, In the Mailbag is still one of my favorite sections of our show. And actually, for all of our listeners, if you want to be a part of that, you can submit your questions either at askbo.com or on facebook.com forward slash retirement resource. We love to highlight your question. We love to send you some uh, free uh, swag, you know, book from us here at the show and some other stuff. And so if you'd like your question featured here on the podcast, be sure to go to askbo.com or facebook.com forward slash retirement resource. And the only cost of admission, Carl, right? It's subscribe to the show if you like what we're doing and share it with a friend. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. the only cost. Yep. Uh, hey, Bo, hold, hold on a second. I'm getting a text. What's going on? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, that? hey, Bo, I got to go. I got to go right now. Um, weekend at Bernie's and stuck in one of the VCR uh, decks and somebody's trying to pull it out. Uh, okay, I'll see, you, I'll see you next week. Bye. You better take care of that. Hey, Art, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, Carl had to get out of here. Hey, I know it's been going good. Why don't you come on over and tell your joke? Why can't a nose be 12 inches long? Because then it would be a foot. <laughs> it's a foot. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place, right here on The Retirement Resource. The Retirement Resource Show is for entertainment purposes only. If you could call it entertainment, that Carl is the worst. The content represents the thoughts and opinions of Bo Henderson and guests of the show. If I'm being honest, I really think I should be the co-host. Before making any financial, tax, or legal decisions, consult with qualified professionals. Jeez. That was a pain. I'm out.